We're going to continue in our sermon series looking at uh, spiritual battle and the armor of God that God has given His people um, by once again reading from Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to read from uh, verse 10 down to verse 17 just to uh, remind us of um, the surrounding verses. We're going to spend time this morning looking at verse 17 in more detail about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But let's um, read God's Word together, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 down to verse 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Amen. And may God bless us the reading of his holy word this morning. As we've spent time looking at Ephesians chapter 6, you may have noticed that the armor that we've spoken about thus far have, has been mainly defensive armor. We've looked at the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the shoes of gospel peace, and the, the breastplate of righteousness. It's been speaking about the defense that we have as God's people, that we can stand even though attacks come from the enemy. But every soldier needs to be able not just to defend themselves with armor, but to act in combat. It's part of what a soldier does is that they are spiritually engaged in combat. So we have these defensive things that we've spoken about, but this morning we are looking at this sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the sword that Paul is speaking and using here is the Roman sword, which was a, a, a smaller sword. You, you think of the big ones that we have like um, in, in Braveheart and thing, movies like that. They're, they're massive, massive swords. But here the Roman uh, soldier, his sword would have been quite small. And it was a sharp, a, a, a sharp double-edged sword that was, that was more kind of like a, a dagger-type size that he would be able to use quickly and swiftly within battle. And, and the, the, the point of this, this sword that the Roman soldier had was for close um, combat, hand-to-hand combat. And you think back a number of weeks ago, we thought about in verse 12, where Paul uses this word wrestle, which we thought about how it wasn't like a, a far-off, you know, um, uh, like a slinging match from one side of the room to the other, but how it's close and personal. That's what the wrestling is. And so too is this sword that the, the, this Roman soldier would have had. And it was primarily, although they could use it for defense, it was primarily for offensive in nature. They would use it for attacks. They would use it to win in their combat that they had with their enemy. God's Word, numerous times throughout Scripture, is um, described to us, especially in the Old Testament, we see it in the New as well, um, as being like a sword. 
This morning, we're going to think about God's Word and, and, and what that means, what Paul is speaking of here in Ephesians 6. Because when we think of God's Word, we automatically think about the Bible, don't we? But we're going to look a wee bit in more in depth about the Greek that, that Paul used here to help us understand better as to what Paul means here. We read in 2 Timothy that the Bible, the Bible that the Scriptures, the, the, the big one, the wee one, the phone app, that, that God's Word, that it is God-breathed. That's what the Word of God tells us, that the Scriptures, that all Scripture is God-breathed. And I think that's a really important place for us to start this morning, is that the Bible that, that we read from, that we preach from, that we look to live our lives from, that it isn't just a book full of human memories. Dear diary, Jesus today said to me that that's not what's going on here. That actually they found their origin within the very heart of God. They are God-breathed. They are God-inspired. Friends, the Bible is powerful. It tells us that it is sharper than any double-edged sword. That, that it can pierce to the very heart of man. Friends, if you aren't challenged when you read the Bible, if you aren't challenged by reading the Bible, you are not reading the Bible properly. The Bible should challenge you. It should convict you. At some points, it should maybe even make you feel a little bit uncomfortable because it highlights and it illuminates the areas of our lives that actually that don't line up with who God is and His character and His nature. It should convict us and it should change us into the likeness of Christ. God's Word is living and it is active. Like I said, it isn't just a book of historical events that have taken place. This is the inspired Word of God. God has communicated His heart. He has revealed Himself to us. Yes, through His Son, but also through the Scriptures. And friends, we are living in a day when there is such an assault on the Word of God. There is such an assault and an attack on God's standards and on His ways and what He has said. Let's pause for a second. Why do you think that there is such a, an agenda to dilute to dismantle, to eradicate the very Word of God. Why do you think that's the case? Would it change your thinking if you began to understand that this is the spiritual weapon that God gives us? So if this goes, what, what do we have? If this goes, what do we have? What can we stand here and say? It's why there's such an attack on the Word of God, because it is part of our spiritual armor. It is the weapon that God has given us. It is the sword of the Spirit. Let me use three very current, very controversial, and very relevant ways we are seeing the Word of God looking to be dismantled and diluted in this day and age on three topics that God, at the very beginning of the Bible that we see He speaks into, we see in this day and this age an attack to eradicate them, to erase them, and to dilute them. And those three things 
our marriage, sexuality, and gender. Three really current topics within society just now. But on those three topics, God has spoken. God has given his way, his standard. Man shall not lie with another man. Marriage should be between one man and one woman. And you don't have to just emphasize the man and the woman anymore. You now have to emphasize the number, one. And God has made man and woman in his image. And he was pleased to do so. At the heart of the attack that we see on these three identities of of human structure and the very fabric of family with marriage, sexuality, and gender, what we see is an attack on God's creation order. It's an attack on his word. God spoke into being. He spoke these things into being in Genesis. You read it. He spoke them. It's his word. It's what he has said. It is his way. It is his and it's an attack on his authority. And God has set these three things, gender, sexuality, and marriage in motion, by speaking them into existence in the very beginning in Genesis, in the creation account. I thought we would repent and turn from our wicked ways and truly allow the truth of God to set us free. Rather than seeking to make man-made empires out of mud that will never last. But that we will remember who God is. That he is the king of glory. And he has spoken. Now, you think back to Genesis 3 when we see the devil's first, uh, um, first uh, kind of attack. And the tactic that he used with Adam and Eve. <clears throat> Firstly, he goes to Eve, and what does he say? What is the first attack that we see from Satan on? His first attack is on the Word of God. Did God really say? And his tactic has not changed since that day to this. He is continually questioning and seeking to place doubts into the hearts and minds of humanity. Did God really say? Well, yes, he has. And how different the story would have been if Adam and Eve had gone, yeah, God has said, we can't eat from that tree. End of discussion. Ah, come on. You know, you will be like him. Did God really say? And friends, we see, those, we see that very tactic even in the pulpits and in the courts of the church this day. Surely if a God of love, it is placing doubt into the heart of humanity. It is assaulting the authority of God and his word. God has said, God has spoken. And who are we to change what he has said? but that we would know the truth. And friends, the truth sets us free. And the enemy has been continually seeking to assault and dilute and ruin the word of God. Why? Because it is our spiritual weapon. It pierces to the very heart of mankind. But then we see 
our example. We see Jesus, who Romans refers to as the second Adam. And Jesus, if you can remember back to the gospel stories, maybe you don't know, I'll tell you, Jesus has just been um, baptized. And as that's taken place, um, God the Father speaks from heaven. And what does he say? This is my beloved Son with whom I am very pleased. And then just after that, what do we see? Well, Jesus goes into the wilderness. And what takes place there? Well, he is tempted by the devil. The devil comes to him. And what does the devil do? Again, it's the same tactic that we see with Adam in Genesis 3. He comes to Jesus in the wilderness at the beginning of the Gospels. If you really are the Son of God, turn this rock into bread. Do you see what the devil is doing? Again, he is questioning and looking to place doubt in what God has said. God the Father had just said that this is my beloved son. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then we see in the wilderness, in Jesus' encounter with, with Satan, Satan comes to him and says, if you really are, looking to dilute what God has said once again, his tactic hasn't changed And he is still trying to dilute the word of God and to get us to turn our backs on it. But Jesus is an example. And what does Jesus say? Well, Jesus responds with the sword of the Spirit. He responds with the word of God itself. Man shall not live by bread alone. That's what God has said in Deuteronomy. Jesus quotes scripture against the devil. So we see the devil attacking the armor we have, looking to dilute the word of God. And sadly, friends, there are many who have accepted that and who who have laid hold of the doubt that he places in. But they are like Adam in Genesis. But Adam in Genesis is not our example, friends. We're called to be like Christ. We're his body. And what Jesus does when the devil comes is, if you really are the son of God, Turn this rock into bread. And Jesus stands and he says, and he quotes scripture, man shall not live by bread alone. He uses the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Word here in Ephesians 6, 17, where it says, which is the word of God. The word that Paul uses for word in the Greek is the word rima. It is the word rima. And that's really important for us to note because rima in Greek, so rima means word. That's when you see which is the word of God. Um, that would be which is the rima of God. And that's important for us to understand because um, when rima is uh, mentioned, it, it means spoken word or utterance. It is spoken word or utterance. And in the New Testament, there are two words that are often used um, for God's word. There is logos and there is rima. 
There is Logos and Rima. Now, some of you will know Logos because you think of John chapter 1, the Word made flesh, and it does, it points to Christ. Christ is the Word made flesh. But in other places in, 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 the, in the New Testament, um, the word Logos, it doesn't just refer to Christ, but it also points to the Holy Scriptures. We see that in Acts, um, like in, in chapter 6, verse 2, where it speaks about the ministry of the Word of God. So often where, where proclamation or preaching of God's Word or the Scriptures are used, the word logos is used there. But Paul doesn't use logos here. He doesn't use logos. He uses rima, which is the spoken word or, or utterance. Why? Well, hopefully I'm going to help us try and understand a little bit better, or maybe I'll just leave us even more confused this morning, but we'll see how we get on. Where the word logos is used, it I believe it points to and it identifies the, the universal truth of the Scriptures, the long-standing, never, ever changing Word of God that God has spoken, and we have it here. It is the Word of God. It is truth, and it never changes. But here where we see Rima, often where Rima is used, it is more for um, God communicating to us in the here and the now. It is, a, it is a very personal communication that God is actively continuing to speak to His people. He hasn't just spoken through the Bible. Like, Do you believe that God still speaks to you today? He still longs to communicate with you. Now, every believer and maybe even some of us who aren't saved, I believe, would have experienced this at some point. We will experience God communicating to us personally. We will have experienced that. And let me use probably a very um, level um, example that I think most of us, um, um, and if not, then I pray it happens to you this morning, um, will have experienced um, at some point in our lives where we're sitting in church and we, we were sitting there and things have been happening in our life and then all of a sudden it, it really does feel like the, the, the preacher um, during the week has prepared a sermon just for me. It has just been for me. They, they have literally nearly... All they've done is not mention me by name. It just feels like this has completely been targeted at me. It points to everything in my life. It, it answers the questions, the doubts, the situations, the things that have been going on. And actually we feel that, oh my goodness, the minister knows all about my life. And he knows exactly what's happening. And I can't look at him because he knows about me. And he knows that that's going on in my life. And I don't know what I'm going to do. Can I let you into a wee secret? Us ministers don't even know what we've had for breakfast most mornings, let alone what's going on in your life. God is speaking to you. And he uses the foolishness of the lips of preachers to communicate to you in situations and seasons that you are in in your life. And that is part of this Rima word. This is the now word that God brings to you. And he points and he lays his finger in the situations, the circumstances, the things that are going on. And he looks to communicate with us in a personal way. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that mental? That the God of heaven, that he wants to communicate with little old me and little old you, isn't that just, that'll just blow your mind that the God who flung the stars into space, that he's so concerned with you, that he wants to communicate with you, that he wants you to hear his voice, that he speaks his word to you. 
Now, how he does that <clears throat> has caused a bit of division in the church. And this is probably where, depending upon your theology, would um, inform how far you take this word of God within the sword of the Spirit. <clears throat> so, everyone, I believe, would, would agree that God speaks to us through the Bible. That's what God does. God, God communicates with His people through the, the, the Scriptures. That, that's where we open them up. That's where we read them. That's where we encourage people to read them because we believe that God wants to speak to us through it. And I, I, I believe that every born-again Christian would agree on that. Now, some people w would go even a little bit further, uh, and this is what I'm talking about depending upon your theology. Um, you know, so this morning, Callum spoke about that God speaks to us through our dreams. I firmly believe that. But my dreams aren't written down in the New Testament or the Old Testament. But I do believe that God speaks to me through my dreams. God has told us in His Word that He will, he, 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 that's how he, he, he does that. He speaks. The, the heavens declare the glory of God. They testify to His awesomeness. And we read in the New Testament, we see that God has given to His people gifts for the edification, for the building up, for the, the, the common good of the body. And some of those gifts would be how God also communicates with His people through prophecy or, or words of knowledge. You, you read the, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians, we have the list of the gifts of the Spirit. That, that God speaks, that God would communicate. Now, again, I think it's quite funny because there's people who go, oh, you know, prophecy, that sounds very much like fortune telling and I'm not too sure about that, but they would be okay with holy hunches. <laughs> they're, they're one and the same thing, God communicating and prompting His people to do something. Have you ever had that experience where you've been driving home and you feel like, do you know what, I need to pick up the phone and just give that person a call, or I need to go and do that because, do you know, I don't know why, I just need to do it. And you do it, and oh, they, they are just amazed. You, oh, I can't believe you phoned me. You'll never believe what's been going on in my life. I, I needed to hear that from you. Did, that, did you come up with that yourself? Absolutely not. God has prompted you. He has led you. God speaks and he moves. But here is the really important thing that we say, that God doesn't say anything that would ever contradict the Scriptures. This is our authority. This is what we build our life upon. This is where we stand is on God's written word. The Bible is our authority. And he would never speak or communicate anything to anyone that would disagree with the Scriptures. And if you feel that God has spoken to you and he says, you know what, I want you to go and um, do something, you know, I want you to go and rob the bank, well, that's not God you're hearing from. Because God tells you in his word not to steal. And we're, we're, we're instructed and encouraged to test the spirits. And we read God's word because it is our authority and the Bible is our standard and no prophetic word or word of knowledge should ever be placed higher than the authority of Scripture. But let's use an example from the Bible that, again, let's, let, let's pull back a wee bit because some of us maybe aren't sure about prophecy and things like that. But let's pull back to um, look at an example again that I feel like all of us would have had of God communicating to us in the here and now from what He has already said. An example would be Psalm 23. 
That is a wonderful psalm, and it speaks glorious truth about who our shepherd is. It points to his provision, points to his protection, points to his comfort, points to how he is ultimately going to be there with us and, and, and his continuing faithfulness, and that he's preparing a place for his people. Now, depending upon the season that you're in, though, in life, there are moments you read that psalm. Now, it's all truth. It's all true. But you read it and you go, do you know what? I just needed to hear that today. I just needed to hear that today. An example would be that many of us have been going through, um, in the last number of years, we've lost loved ones. And actually, we know the Lord is our shepherd. We know that he leads us and we shall not want. And there's the green pastures. But actually, what we need here and now, that Rima word we need, we need to hear that that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that God is with us. And as we read that psalm, often in the hardship, that's the bit that jumps out to us. God is communicating to us through his word. That dear child, I'm there to comfort you in the valley. Know my presence, know my comfort, know my protection. But Paul's overall point here within speaking about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is that this is the offensive weapon that God has given to His bride. This is what God has given to us for when we not just stand and take the enemy's attacks, but actually when we look to claim ground back for the kingdom of God. He's given us the sword of the Spirit. We must take That's what he says at the beginning of of verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. There There is an activeness there on our behalf that we take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God in this day, in this age. We want to see our community come alive to the kingdom of God. We want to see lives transformed, lives changed. Do you know, it doesn't matter how good our baking is in this church. Our baking is very good in this church. And I know people who have come to church just for the shortbread, and that's no word of a lie. But no matter how good the shortbread is, it's never going to change a life. It is the word of God that alone can do that. Why? Because it pierces to the very heart of man. We want to see our community come alive to the kingdom of God. We proclaim his gospel. We speak his word. We want to see oppression fall and and demonic strongholds come tumbling down around us. We preach the gospel and we proclaim God's word. We want to see our kids nurtured and protected from the awful, sinful, sexualized teaching that are attacking the very fabrics of God's creation order. Friends, we preach God's word. We want to stand And we preach the cross of Christ. Friends, we stand and we need to proclaim that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And I tell you this though, you will not become popular by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you will be faithful to the kingdom of God. We must be a people who no longer remain silent to proclaim in love the mercy and the grace of God, that truth which sets us free. Friends, let me tell you a little secret this morning. Jesus didn't come to affirm your lifestyle. If you're looking for affirmation of where you've been and what you've done, you will not find it in the Scriptures. But you will find redemption. Redemption. 
you will find transformation and you will find hope of everlasting life. One of the biggest problems we have now in this world is that sin is no longer being spoken about. It makes people uncomfortable. How dare you tell me I'm not a good person? I do this, I do that, I've done these things. And one of the biggest problems we have is that sin is no longer being spoken about. Even within evangelical spheres, we're seeing it begin. We're no longer even just mentioning sin. We're changing how we speak about it to make people feel a little bit more comfortable. We'll speak about shame, or we'll speak about maybe the, the, the failings that we have. But friends, the gospel tells us that Christ died for our sins. I was a sinner, dead in my trespasses, dead in my spiritual darkness, living in the ways of this dark world, going to hell, going to a lost eternity, thinking my own way was the best way. From a broken home with an alcoholic father, from a family full of addiction. But Jesus... But Jesus used a man called Jonathan McKeever who preached the gospel to me and the gospel touched my heart and it brought me to life. That is what the word of God does. Friends, we need to speak it, proclaim it, and declare it. It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Sin, oppression, demonic strongholds, the strongholds that Satan has over our communities, even over people within our families, maybe. We want to see these things fall, friends. The answer to these problems that we have is found within the Word of God. There is power in the name of Jesus and in His Word. Friends, how do we think that we can be Christians? How do we think that we can engage in this life within this spiritual battle if we don't know how to use the Word of God or if we don't even know the Word of God? How can we stand against the principalities and powers that we wrestle against? And friends, I honestly think that this is one of the biggest issues we have in the church in the West. We're silent. The devil has dumbed our lips. And there is now far too many people who sit not saying anything. And maybe one could even go a step further and say that we in the West are under a spiritual curse which has silenced us into submission. We are sleepwalking in apathy to eternity. Church, Arise, waken up sandy hills. Pick up your cross and follow Christ. Pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and begin to tell people about the gospel of Jesus. We must be a church. We must be a people who testify to the Word of God. No longer can we be silent. May the Lord break any curse of silence from upon us. May you know, even in this very moment, the loosing of your lips, that God would begin to bubble up in your heart and in your soul a passion to begin to tell people about Jesus and His kingdom and about the salvation that can only be found in Him.
May your lips begin to declare the truth of God, the word of God, the sounds from heaven that our city, our communities, and our families need to hear. Just as we close this morning, we need to be a church who knows God's word, who are listening for God's voice, and who are in step with His Spirit. For this is how we take ground. We want to see our community come alive to the gospel of Jesus. We must be a people who know God's voice, who know God's word and share it. Friends, God longs and wants to manifest his glory in this day, in this place, even in the east end of Glasgow. He is by no means finished or done. And his command to his church is to waken up Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. May we see Him move in power, even this day, and even in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank You that You have spoken, that You have set eternity into motion, that, Lord, You have a plan that Christ, you were the Word in the beginning. You were the Word made flesh. We thank you that you are the direct representation of God the Father. And we thank you for your Scriptures. We thank you for your Word, which we stand upon, which we proclaim, and which we preach. And God, we thank you that you continue to speak to us in this day, that you're concerned for us. And Lord, I pray that even in this very moment that you be touching our lives, touching our hearts, speaking to us, letting us know you love us and you have a plan for us and that you have great things in store for this congregation, for this parish, and for this community. But Lord, we need to look to you first and we take our leading and our guidance from you. Be our vision, we pray, for we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.